source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding O Lord, we thank you that you are working in us to will and to do for your good pleasure. We thank you, Lord, that you are going to complete the work that you've begun in Christ Jesus until that day of Christ. We thank you that you have taken hold of us by your Holy Spirit, that you have a purpose for each of us who have trusted Christ. And Lord, that that purpose is to conform us to the image of Christ. You set that purpose before the world began, as as Paul says, and, and you will accomplish that purpose in you will bring us, you will glorify us in that final day. You will bring us to resurrection. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have said you will not lose any of those that the Father gives you. We praise you for your sovereign hand upon us, Lord, because it is our only security that it is not so much that we hold on to you, but you hold on to us by your powerful hand. And you begin our salvation and continue our salvation and bring about the final end of our salvation. So we read in your word that we have been saved, that we are being saved, that we will be saved. Think of that passage, Lord, in Romans 8, when Paul says that we will be, we, we await our redemption the redemption of our bodies. We, we await that final salvation when we will be renewed, when we will be, uh, in a sense, harvested, even as Jesus has been resurrected. He is the first fruits. And because He has been resurrected, His body must be resurrected, for we will be united to Him. And what He has done, He has done for us on our behalf as our representative to bring us to that same life. And in Him, even now, we reign. Even now, Paul says, that we are seated with Him in the heavenlies. And, O Lord, we thank You that because of that, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. We thank You for what Paul says in Romans 16, that that God will soon crush Satan under our feet. Lord, these things are unimaginable, that we could participate in Christ's life to such a degree that we will one day reign with Him. Lord, the glory that You give to sinners, of all things, to sinners who deserve nothing, who deserve judgment, and yet You give us the kingdom You give us all things in Christ and it can be said of us, as Paul says in Romans 8, that we are not only children of God, but we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Oh Lord, how could you so associate yourself with us to join us in what you will inherit, what you alone earned? 
And yet you give it away freely to all your people. Oh, Lord, we worship you. We we praise you. We thank you. You are such a Lord, such a King to be served, such a King to rest in, to rejoice in, to follow. Lord, we pray that your salvation will be will manifest itself in so many ways to the Cox family, to Derek Lambert. Lord, we pray that you, to the whole of the family, that you would manifest your grace to them, that you will comfort them in Christ Jesus, that you will fix their hearts on the hope of the resurrection. And, O oh Lord, that new rooms of your glory and beauty will be opened up to this family through this difficult pain that will not just be a moment, but will happen over and over because of this terrible loss. Oh, Lord, in all of the continuing experience of this loss, may you continue to show yourself to them. May you continue, Lord, to manifest your presence. May they be nourished by you, Lord. May they seek you in the word, seek you in prayer, seek you in the fellowship of God's people and the worship of God's people. Oh, Lord, pour out blessings. And Lord, we look to that day knowing that even if you were to come uh, this week, that our dear sister Janice would be first in line and we would be second, that her body would be raised and restored, and only then would we be changed. Oh, Lord, we look to that great day and thank you that you enable us to grieve, to, to grieve not as the world grieves without hope, but to grieve in the midst of hope, to be able to say, in the light of the resurrection, O oh death, where is your sting? O oh death, where is your victory? Lord, now as we come to your word, may all the more we be nourished and built, be built up in this word that equips us to inherit the salvation in, uh, of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage that we're going to read to begin with is found on page 502 of the blue book that's in the pew or the chair. That's a Bible, by the way. <laughs> um, and sometimes you can find Psalms by just going in the middle almost. That's one of the kind of middle books, and it's rather big, so it's a little easier to find. But it's on page 502, Psalm 103. <clears throat> now, reading this, not so much uh, to do a careful exposition of Psalm 103, but in a way to set the tone or to, to get the feel of Psalm 103, which is to worship God with everything in us and try to encompass all that He is and does for us in our worship. Okay, So being all in in terms of your whole being to worship Him, so there's that kind of taking all of yourself to bring to God, but it's also to try to embrace everything that God is. Now, that's a lifetime project, isn't it? Keep finding Him and discovering Him and knowing Him in the Word and in your experience of your daily life and, and His presence in your life and through even the greatest difficulties. Um, so we're always, every day is really 
as we've said before, your own safari. You know, you're looking for the wild, glorious, fierce, beautiful God who is breathtaking and awesome. Uh, it's a daily uh, quest. And we would suggest to you that there really is no other quest worth living for but the quest for God. Because as Ecclesiastes says, he's put eternity in our hearts. He's put eternity there. <laughs> we, we must have him. We, we can't live with that. We can't find life apart from him. And the contrast of living life in his presence and living life apart from him uh, is the difference, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, between life being empty or full of enjoyment, the contrasting ease of Ecclesiastes. So this, uh, this text is a great one to help us get into that sense of giving all that we have to God and trying to get all we can of God, okay? That really, in some senses, is a good definition of worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Let no particle in my being be left out in the worship of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Here's the second part. And forget not all His benefits. So there's the all that is within me, and then don't forget any of his benefits. Don't leave anything out of my being in, in worship. Don't leave anything out of God's glory in worship. And then he begins to enlarge and to teach us about that as he worships. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's doesn't mean physical. <laughs> I wish it did, but it means that your insides and your heart is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the reading of God's Word. Maybe we should just end right there, right? 
Such a glorious, glorious song. Well, I, I, the, the title of uh, this sermon, and it will run a, a week or two, is Worship the Lord in Every Part of Worship. It may seem like a, a trite statement, but I want to try to help us to engage and have a better understanding standing of each part of worship and in the process explore some uh, different things that maybe we can bring to worship as the people of God. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is that which surrounds worship, that is both how we might worship Him and prepare for worship, and then how we might garner and cultivate what we've gained in worship. So the first thing I want to talk about is what about before worship and after worship? Then in the second place, I want to talk about the confession of sin and some things that we need to be thinking about as we uh, bring, uh, come to the confession of sin and the declaration of forgiveness, uh, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. <clears throat> well, before... Uh, the, and these are all like practical suggestions, things that hopefully you can put into practice uh, even this week. Uh, before, I, I would urge several things, uh, especially this, that you be in prayer for our worship. I would say this is the single most important thing that we could be doing as a congregation in our prayers about worship is praying for God to bless our worship. And I won't ask for a raising of hands, but uh, if uh, it would be interesting to see how often, how urgently, how earnestly we pray for the worship uh, on the Lord's Day. And it might be interesting too, and I would be certainly be uh, found fault with here, but how urgently I pray for some things and how casually perhaps I pray for the worship of God. That is, are we passionately, uh, earnestly seeking God as though if you don't give this, I don't know what I'll do if you don't give us glorious worship, Lord. Just think if all of us were praying in this way, passionately, sometimes perhaps even in tears or sometimes with anticipating joy at what might be, uh, our minds kind of soaring as to what God might do among us, praying for our worship. So just that one idea, that, that one thing <laughs> could bring more to public worship than anything else that I could say. And, and so that could be the end of this sermon in one sense. But let me just give a couple of specifics. I, I would pray things like this. First, to pray for uh, Jacob and myself. And this is a prayer that is for us, but it's also a prayer for each of you, for the whole congregation, that we would, first of all, have wisdom to know how to lead you in worship. It, it fascinates me that the Holy Spirit knows each of your lives knows every heart in here, knows who's going to be here each Sunday, knows things about you that none of us can know at all, and that He would use us through the hymns, the confessions, the prayers, the preaching to meet the specific needs of people in our congregation. 
That's only something that the Spirit could orchestrate. But we need to recognize that and helplessly pray for it, recognizing that, Lord, if you don't do this, it will not be done. It cannot be done. You're the only one that can direct those who lead worship in the specific ways so that particular needs more and more would be met in the worship of the church. I need wisdom in how do I preach to both those who perhaps are here for the first time unchurched and, and, and somehow address them and meet their need and, and in, envelop and embrace them in the preaching and yet meet the needs of people who've been in church for 20 years who are very mature in the faith. I need wisdom for things like that. I need wisdom that I can be better organized, have better application, better relevance to your life, more interest and engagement in the preaching. Just pray for those things. Pray for the preaching of the Word. Another thing to pray for, not only for Jacob and myself, but for all the leaders in worship and for us, that we would really worship as we worship, you know? Like it won't just be leading in worship because sometimes it's hard, it's easy for the, the leaders of worship to be the ones who aren't worshiping because they're so focused on leading in worship. But that would just be a blessing to pray that God would bring that about, that there will be that wonderful joy, that sense of the presence of God, that, that active seeking of Him and knowing Him uh, as the leaders engage in worship. And then... Secondly, of course, to pray for yourself, to pray for the congregation that God would reveal His glory and His beauty to us in worship, that He would do great things in our lives in worship, that He would accomplish purposes, powerful purposes, and it can be done in a phrase, in a hymn. It can be done with the phrase of confession or one thing. I'm always amazed at one thing that I wasn't even thinking about was that important. Or maybe it just came to my mind that day and somebody comes up afterwards and said, that thing you said. And I really think I don't get any credit for that one because I didn't even think about it, you know, beforehand or whatever. But these kinds of things that God would pour out the blessings of his presence in our midst, uh, that we would be astonished at his beauty and glory in our worship that we would experience awe and joy, that we would be engaged mentally and spiritually in our worship. That's a great prayer for us all to pray. And again, to pray with faith means that we pray depending upon Him, recognizing, as Paul says in Philippians 3, that we worship by the Spirit of God. We don't worship in any way unless the Spirit enables us to worship. You, you and I just don't decide to worship and we're going to worship. It's only by the power of the Spirit that we worship. Jesus says this in John 4, that God is seeking those who worship by the Spirit because they alone are true worshipers. And so there's this helplessness that we should have as we come to worship, saying, Lord, as, John, as, as uh, Jesus says in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do no good thing. Apart from him, not one of us can offer one second of true worship. So there would be that sense of dependence, right, of helplessness as we pray coming into the Lord's day. 
And, but then at the same time, a, an expectancy. And you've heard me say this before. I think those are two important words that, that make up faith. Dependence, helpless dependence, and great expectancy that we are looking for Him to do great things. I want to remind you of a few passages. Mark, uh, Matthew 13, verse 58, it actually says that Jesus did not do many mighty deeds in that town because of their unbelief. I would not want it said, God didn't do much on Lord's Day worship at Fort Worth Prez because of their unbelief. Number one, they didn't know they were helpless, didn't ask Him to do anything. Number two, they really weren't expecting much. Weren't expecting God to take hold, expecting God. They weren't eager, they weren't hungering for Him, seeking Him. In a sense, I've got to have you, Lord, that kind of sense. It says in Mark 6 uh, that He could not do mighty works except for healing a few sick people. It actually says could. Now, it doesn't mean that his power is limited. He can do whatever he wants to, but he cannot and will not act in unbelief. He will not. He does not for his people. And it says there that he marveled at their unbelief. And I would hope that there's never a sense on the Lord's day where Jesus marvels at our unbelief. Wow, how could they not expect me to do great things? How could they not want me to do great things? How could they not care if they even see or taste my glory? How could that be? And so we need prayer, don't we? Prayer that we can seek Him and expect Him. It's interesting also in Matthew 8 that He was amazed at the centurion's faith. He's amazed at the unbelief of this city of Jews, and he's equally amazed, same word, at the faith of this Gentile Roman centurion. It also mentions in Matthew 9, when the guys bring the paralytic, that he saw their faith. And of the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, he says to her, great is your faith, let it be done for you. Jesus is all about recognizing faith, isn't he? Marveling at unbelief, marveling at belief when it seems like it wouldn't be found. Commenting on the greatness of a woman's faith, recognizing faith. This is huge for Jesus. It's huge in terms of how he blesses his people. And Jesus says in Matthew 17 that if you have faith, even like a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move and it will be moved. He says nothing will be impossible for you. And I I want to apply that to worship. Nothing will be impossible as to what could happen in worship if you believe. And so may God do this in our life. Of course, this is, this is before we come to worship. Uh, a few words about what we do after worship. Uh, I, I, I look at, uh, the, of course, God does much right in the midst of worship. He, he challenges us. He reveals things to us. He, he, makes, he, ma- he brings about changes sometimes right there in worship itself. And for these, we long. We, we hope and pray that he'll do this. But he does much during worship, but much after worship, if we are careful and diligent 
to uh, garner the riches of worship. From taking a great hymn like we sang, Not What My Hands Have Done. What a great hymn to take home and meditate on and pray through this week and get inside of that and enrich your life at the, the wonderful rest that this expresses uh, in your faith with Jesus. Or you never think about it again. There's two different ways to approach that hymn and this experience of this worship. The same thing with these wonderful statements of, about the Apostles' Creed about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Catholic Church to explore that or to make either mental or physical notes and, and uh, think through the things that are said in the sermon. I think, I may have mentioned this before, but I think of that uh, traveler's insurance uh, commercial, you know, that uh, Ray, Lamontagne, uh, Ray Lamontagne is singing Trouble in the background, and the dog, you know, doesn't know where to put his bone because wherever he thinks about it going, there's a cat's going to get it or somebody's going to dig it up or whatever. And I think of that in regard to worship, that we should be like that dog in the sense of, Lord, until I get all that we did this morning in some way meditated into my life, I can't be comfortable, I can't rest. Until my life begins to take on the truth of that worship until my life is affected by that worship. Now, if that was our heart and our attitude as we leave worship, kind of having the sense that you've just, in leaving worship, you've just been to the grocery store, okay? That's all. Been to the grocery store. Now you've got to plan your meal, prepare your meal, and eat your meal, in a sense. And so, to... to let the worship linger in your life. Try to get all the fruit of what is done in worship. Not only from the sermon, but the, the, as I've said, the hymns and the prayers. Um, I, I remember one year of my life hearing a man who uh, really had average gifts in terms of preaching. Uh, not extremely interesting, but very faithful, uh, faithfully proclaimed the word. And that was one of the best years of my life in worship because at that time my heart was so eager for the Word and I would spend many days that week going over what he said and going over the passage, seeing it as God's, uh, with God's leadership in the church, that this was the passage that he'd given me this week through his minister and, and I wanted to get all I could out of that. So much, I think, depends upon leaders and especially me in proclaiming the Word, but then much depends upon you and what you bring to the Word, what you bring to worship. And so each of us needs to think, Lord, enable me to bring a heart eager to worship you, eager to hear your Word. Now, I want to, in the second place, and this will be a bit briefer, but... To talk about confession of sin, you, you will notice that in our uh, worship from Sunday to Sunday, we uh, almost always now in the days we have the Lord's Supper, uh, we don't usually include it because of time constraints, but we usually have some aspect of confession of sin and some assurance of pardon, as you see on pages 4 and 5 of your bulletin today. And I want to talk a little bit about the importance of the confession of sin 
why we have it in worship and how it prepares us for God's Word so that as you're engaged in it, you can realize what we are about, why we are doing this, why this is important for us as the people of God. It's not just a routine we go through, but there are very specific reasons why we do this. And and it's not only that we do this here, but this is hopefully to help you to do this on your own throughout the week, to confess sin like this, to be assured of His pardon like this, to experience His grace day in and day out as we seek to experience His grace together as the people of God. So this is a a kind of training for us as well. This is how you live life. This isn't just a thing you do on Sunday, but this is how you live life. This is how you approach God all the, uh, in every part of your life, confessing sin and having the assurance of pardon from Him. <clears throat> so, the, this, this uh, hymn that we sang, Not What My Hands Have Done, if you look at that on page 4, uh, just to point out a few things that, and and every Sunday there'll be something like this in our confession, but you'll notice how there is, how completely he rests only in what God can do for him, right? Not what my hands have done, not what my toiling flesh has borne, not what I feel or do. Even my feelings aren't going to atone for sin. Nothing I do not even notice my prayers, not even my sighs and tears, not even all the things that I might do that seem to be good, none of that can take away my sin. Nothing. It's only Jesus that can take away my sin. And that's so helpful for us because we sometimes think, well, if I don't feel the right thing, I don't do the right thing, and I don't, you know, all of these things... I'm not going to be as forgiven as if I do these things. But no, it doesn't depend upon you. It completely depends upon Christ. That's why in the second passage, uh, second verse, Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone. And notice the third line, Your love to me, not mine to thee, can rid me of this. T- it's not my love that you look at and say, Oh, because you love me enough, I will forgive you of your sins. No, it's because you love me and forgive me in spite of the fact that I haven't loved you. That's how forgiveness occurs. You see, I'm just pointing out some things that are right there in this confession that we want to try to garner and use and apply to our lives and even allow these things to help us think about how we are forgiven before God. Well, enough about that in particular, but one of the reasons, if if you want to follow along here, it's on page 1011 in James. I want to show you a passage in James and then the next book over in 1 Peter because they both say such a similar thing about sin and the Word, okay? But James chapter 1, verse 19, page 1011. At the top of the page if you have the pew Bible. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Look at the two parts. Put away filthiness and wickedness that you may receive with meekness, that is with humility and brokenness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then verse 22 and following, he talks about being doers and not hearers only. The implication being, if we're not truly trying to deal with sin, then we're only going to play with the word. We're only going to hear it. We're really never going to do it. Because sin has us. Sin controls us. And we're not really fighting it. We're not really praying over it. We're not even confessing it. We're not trying to deal with our sin before God. So there's this connection, putting away these things through prayer and confession and repentance that we might receive the word which is able to save our souls. Then if you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, it's the very next letter. Notice how similar this is to what James has said. He says in chapter 2 verse 1, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Most Every commentator would say this refers to the word, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So see, here's the same process. Put away these things so that you can long for the word. And the idea is that we... Confession enables us to further hate and stand against our sin. And so we come to the Word on the side of God against sin. That's the idea in these two passages. When you come to the Word, come to the Word on the side of God against your sin. Now, that helps me to approach the Word in an honest way to approach the Word so that I want the Word to help me not to sin. I want the Word to equip me. As Paul says in 2 Thessalonians three sixteen and 17, that it's good for correction, for training in righteousness, for reproof. Uh, it's good for all of these things in our lives. That's its purpose, so that we can be complete and walk in good deeds. Well, part of what confession does is it. It helps you to acknowledge your sin, to hate your sin, to pray for His grace, to forgive that sin, and then to come to the Word with that sense of, I'm against sin and I'm for your righteousness. It helps us not to play games with the Word, um, that we're not just going to get it done, just to fill our heads with more knowledge, but the reality of the warfare against sin, and we come to His Word in that way. So... Confession helps me to come to the Word on the side of God against sin. And secondly, lastly, it helps me to come to the Word in the context of forgiveness. And these are both so important together. To come to the Word on the side of God against sin and to come to the Word in the context of forgiveness. When I experience, and that's why we don't, we never have repentance and faith in the bulletin without assurance of pardon. Because we think that we should never, in, in the words of Paul, he talks about the, the grief of the world leads to a destructive pattern. 
but the grief, the grief of God uh, leads to salvation. And the grief of the world is the grief of Judas, who even when he came to the realization of what he had done about Jesus, he didn't seek forgiveness, which he could have, but he turned to despair and depression. He turned and, as you know, killed himself. Now, that's not a statement about what you know, suicide is, but in his particular case, it was a refusal to, uh, to the mercy of God. And so, we are not in the business of having people acknowledge their sin and leaving them there. It, the whole point is to experience His forgiveness, to experience the assurance of our pardon in Christ Jesus. And so, uh, in the first place, this experience of His forgiveness causes me all the more to be amazed and comforted by His love. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians five fourteen, uh, the the love of Christ is what controls me. So the love of Christ further governs me so that I'm all the more willing to come to His Word to be governed by Him, to be governed by that Word. I'm all the more encouraged to serve this gracious and kind God who forgives me, you see. And secondly, it encourages me to think that He will do me good since He forgives me. That He is eager to change me by this Word because He forgives me. His grace to me to forgive me. His grace, as I've rehearsed it, to give His Son to die for me encourages me that when I come to His Word, I can expect that He will do me good in that Word. He will change me. And so you come to the Word, in a sense, with the kiss of God upon your cheek, uh, a refreshment in His loving kindness, a refreshment of what it means to be forgiven in Christ. Thirdly, it points you to Christ. Forgiveness always has to do with Christ, and so it causes you to come to His Word with a kind of Christ, Christocentric uh, notion or atmosphere. Because you are fresh from experiencing what Christ has done for you. And so you're wanting more of Christ. And He's the context for what you say, for your study. I attended on vacation several years ago, a pretty well-known church in town. Assistant pastor or associate pastor was preaching. And uh, it was a sermon on Gideon. And... I did not hear, and I turned to Kay after it was over, and I said, am I mistaken or did I not hear the name of Jesus during this sermon? And indeed, we didn't. It was because it was, Gideon did this, you need to go do that. Gideon did this, you need to go do that. Gideon did this, you need to go do that as well. But there was nothing of Christ, nothing of redemption, nothing of salvation. And so, pointing us to Christ points us away from moralism. You know, dare to be a Daniel, like some of us grew up in Sunday school. Instead of pointing us to the redemption of God, to God's glory, to God's character, to what God has done for sinners. And this counterbalances our first point of coming uh, to the Word on the side of God against sin as though we're just coming... Uh, in a moralistic way to find out what else we need to do. No, we, we're coming because we are redeemed 
And we want to know more of that redemption, more of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus because we've experienced His forgiveness even before we come to that word. So you see, this confession and, uh, and assurance of pardon is a wonderful and important, we think, critical thing, not only for our approach to the Word on Sunday, and it is, but it's to remind us what life is. Life is helpless people trusting in the grace of God. And then coming to that gracious God whom we love and are amazed at to hear His Word as it proclaims His redemption and proclaims to us the ways in which we can live out that redemption. Uh, And so, hopefully, you'll come to worship prepared, prayed up, so to speak. You'll leave worship with the eagerness of that dog to find a place, you know, for that bone to for the eagerness to hide these things in your heart and in your life and not be satisfied until you begin to see the effects of worship in your life. And then finally that you'll come to the confession of sin and assurance of pardon, realizing uh, how wonderfully wonderful it is that we rehearse these glorious central things of salvation and that you would live that out in your day-to-day life. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, bless us to be true worshipers as we can only be by your powerful Holy Spirit. Enable us more and more to experience your mercy and forgiveness, more and more, Lord, to be governed by your love, more and more in John's words to love because you first loved us. Oh, Lord, may we give ourselves more and more to your word. Because we love and adore and are amazed at the gracious God who's given us this word. And we trust him. We trust his goodness. We trust his kindness. For he's the one who has sent his son for us. And now he speaks to us in his word. Oh Lord, may we connect the dots between our experience of forgiveness and this precious word that you've given us to live out day by day. Bless us to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?